Welcome back, everybody. It is Sunday, September 12th, otherwise known as opening weekend for the NFL season. And we are here with Goose in the Morning, your podcast about our favorite football simulation, Deep Route. I'm your host, Killer Goose, otherwise known as Coach Goose, and I am thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be back. There's been a lot that's happened since... um, since we last spoke, last time I mentioned that we were getting married and then we were going on our honeymoon and that was a complete trip. Uh, basically what happened was <clears throat> we were the main trip of it was trying to go to our honeymoon. Um, the wedding happened, went great. Um, we're super excited and it was a beautiful wedding. It was very small. We had about 40 people there and uh, that's exactly the way we wanted it. It was uh, it was mainly her family, and then I had some of my family, and then family of the wedding party. So we had, uh, I had three groomsmen, she had three bridesmaids. So just a very small, intimate wedding, very pretty, and I had a lot of fun. So fast forward to us trying to go on our honeymoon, we were we we uh, ended up going to Antigua. And what Antigua does, like many other countries, is they require a negative PCR test to get in. Um, You have to take it within seven days of of arrival. So we were a little bit worried about me because I had contracted COVID at the beginning of August. And we had taken a, or I had taken um, a PCR test on Tuesday before the wedding. So Tuesday before the wedding was six days before we were supposed to leave for our honeymoon. Originally, we were going to leave on Monday, which was the which was August 30th. So I took one on the 24th. We were leaving on uh, August 30th. So I got my test back pretty quick. It was positive. But I took another PCR test on Thursday, the 26th, and that one ended up coming back negative. Now, the reason it was such a trip to try to go to Antigua is because my wife also took her PCR test on the 24th, but it didn't come back for six days. So Monday morning at 3 a.m., we haven't slept. We are waiting. We are trying to call the lab and get status updates on it. And what we ended up having to do was we had to reschedule our honeymoon. No big deal. We just pushed it to the next day. Uh, because we had made the decision to get our PCR test six days before just in case something happened and we had to reschedule our honeymoon. It would give us one extra day of flexibility, and I am so, so glad that we did. We rescheduled it to Tuesday, the 31st, and... Uh, her PCS, her PCR test ended up coming back that morning, and then we were able to go to Antigua. It was gorgeous. Absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, pretty typical, or pretty typical, pretty typical Caribbean island. Um, the beautiful turquoise waters. It was 85 degrees every day. Uh, it would rain for like 10 minutes and then go away, and then it was humid as balls for the rest of the day. But it, it was it, it was gorgeous. Wonderful food. I gained about 10 pounds while I was on honeymoon. Um, so first thing I did when I came back was head to the gym. <laughs> so wonderful and this weekend i mean so moving on well not even this weekend this past week has been crazy obviously getting back into work i had my counterpart quit his job so i got a promotion um which is awesome and then there's some other stuff going on behind the scenes i had mentioned that uh 
Um, I think I'd mentioned in Discord that I'm interviewing right now. We are trying to move back to Tulsa, and my current role does not allow for remote work. So, um, had some interviews going on this week, and then uh, um, all the craziness with my counterpart leaving. It's been a wild week. And then yesterday, I'm a big Oregon Ducks fan, and the Oregon Ducks beating Ohio State, first time ever, first time in their history, was just, I could taste it. Oh, it was just so satisfying, so, so satisfying. Um, Super, super happy about that. There are some concerns still. You know, when when you look at a team like Oregon, I think the rest of the roster is there. I think the coaching is there for this to be a legitimate college football playoff team. And, and, and one thing to keep in mind is Oregon beat Ohio State without Justin Flo and most importantly, Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau is a possible number one pick in this upcoming draft. He's a defensive end, uh, likely the best pass rusher in the country. Um, and he was out. He has a high ankle sprain. So he was not playing, and they were still able to not only beat Ohio State, but they were able to get after the quarterback a little bit. It's funny, towards the end, C.J. Stroud was sacked to, to end the game, and he was sacked by Oregon's tight end. Um, the reason being is Kayvon Thibodeau was out, and then his backup got hurt, and so their depth had taken a pretty serious hit in this game. And towards the end, they were getting gassed. I mean, I think I think it's pretty warm in in Ohio this week. I think uh, I know Cincinnati is in the in the 90s. So I think and the game went on very long. Started at 11 and ended at three. So um, defense was gassed, and so they have a tight end on their roster that transferred from Miami, and he was a defensive end, and so they converted him to a tight end. But he's really he has experience playing defensive end, so he went out there. To, to, to just, I mean, give somebody a rest, and he ended up getting the game-sealing sack. So super cool. Uh, I, I'm thrilled with with where Oregon's at, but I am concerned about their quarterback play. Anthony Brown, who is a super senior, uh, I don't think he's the guy, you know, and that's that feels strange to say after, after Oregon goes out and racks up, like, I mean, close to over 500 yards on the number three team in the nation – um, in their in their stadium, no less. But Anthony Brown is uh, he completed less than fifty percent of his passes yesterday, so sub fifty. And we know what he is. He he played at Boston College, and he never he never completed over sixty percent of his passes at Boston College either. He's a he's an okay runner. But the thing is, is if the rest of this roster is up to snuff, if this is going to be a college football playoff team. They need a quarterback that's going to be a threat throwing the ball because if you go out there against the Alabamas of the world, legitimate defenses, I think the reason Oregon got away with this one is because Ohio State has a leaky defense. I mean, that's really what it is. And and if you go up a team with, uh, if you go up against a team, a college football playoff caliber team that has a defense, I'm gonna again, I'm gonna talk about Alabama. You could talk about Clemson. Um, that's not going to cut it. They have a freshman on the roster named Ty Thompson. He is a five-star recruit, uh, and and a lot of people think that that he is the heir apparent. That he's going to be the next Heisman caliber quarterback. So, but he is the backup currently. He's the number two, 
And a lot of people believe that Cristobal, the Oregon head coach, went with Anthony Brown because of his experience. Like I mentioned, he's a super senior. So this is his sixth year. Um, so we'll see. I'm curious to see if there's going to be a change at quarterback at some point this season because now Oregon's playoff hopes are very, very alive um, because they're confident. I mean, the Pac-12 isn't isn't super strong this year. So I mean, I can't remember if they play USC or not, but they have a very real chance of of marching in. They need to figure out that quarterback play. Um, so that was exciting. I watched El Asico yesterday, Iowa, Iowa State. Iowa beat them 27-17. Um, and then I always love to see Texas lose. So Arkansas blows out Texas. Despite me not being an Oklahoma fan, I am from Oklahoma, and that means the University of Texas is not my friend. So very happy to see the University of Texas lose. Sorry for any Texas fans out there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Wonderful opening weekend for not opening weekend, but I, I called I call it opening weekend because I, I didn't really get to watch Oregon Fresno State. I didn't get to watch the the week one games. I tried to sneak in some viewing time on my phone, but my wife was uh, getting a little upset that we were on the beach and relaxing, and and I was trying to watch Oregon because I tend to get a little fired up and I get a little stressed. So all of that said. Very fun day yesterday watching Oregon, and then today the Cincinnati Bengals play. I'm equally excited to watch Joe Burrow and get a look at Jamar Chase in a real game, and then all of the new additions. They're playing the Minnesota Vikings. <clears throat> it's in it's in Cincinnati, so I don't know. We're going to see what happens. But enough with all of this real football talk, folks. It's time to talk about Deep Route. And, and you know what? I posted an episode yesterday. Um, I, I went through and I, I recorded this episode. I think it was like 36 minutes long. Um, and I, I posted it to SoundCloud. I didn't say anything to anybody in, in Deep Route. Nothing in Discord. And I listened to it. I just didn't like it, guys. It, it was very evident that I was that I was tired. That I had no energy um, I didn't really know what to talk about. It was boring. I, I listened to it, and it, it it was boring. So I deleted it, and now I'm re-recording it because I want this to be... I enjoy making this, and I want this to be entertaining for you guys. And I'm, if I'm up here talking like, oh, well, Southeast Texas Rockhopper Penguins, you know, they threw for three. I mean, no, it's, that's, it's not going to work. So I want this to be entertaining for you guys. I, it, it said it had two plays. So a couple of you have already listened to it more than likely. So you're going to be listening to another podcast, a better one. Hopefully it's a better episode. Uh, and we're going to be talking about week two today. We're going to be talking about week two. We're going to be highlighting a few games that I really, I, I liked. I would call them my games of the week. Um, and then we're also going to take a look at the division, and I'm going to find some. Uh, I'm probably going to throw out some predictions, try to find some interesting battles in each division, and uh, and we'll go from there. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll go off on some tangents. So, all of that said, let's begin. And the game that I want to begin with is Southeast Texas and San Francisco. Uh, week two is the divisional week, so we saw a lot of divisional matches matchups. This one was a 
this one was just a really entertaining game as a fan of football. You have two good quarterbacks, Robert Giannino and Palmer Townsley. I've spoken at length about, about both of these quarterbacks. You know how I feel about them. I'm a huge fan of, of Townsley. I think he's immensely talented. Same thing with Giannino. I, I love the uh, I love the downfield capability that that he has and that kind of aspect that he brings to the offense. And this game certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, it was 27-24 was the final. San Francisco did win. And uh, it started off looking like like Southeast Texas was, was really going to build a big lead. So game opened up and Southeast Texas drove down the field. They kicked a field goal. And then San Francisco had a successful drive as well. They missed their field goal. And so the Penguins followed that up by going down and scoring a touchdown. So they jumped out to a 10-0 lead. And then uh, San Francisco started responding. One thing that I'm a little surprised with is the lack of aggressiveness from San Francisco specifically. I think that I think that they could have won this game in a more comfortable fashion if they were more aggressive. There were several fourth and shorts. I think there was one even fourth and inches uh, that they just kicked a field goal on. It was fourth and inches at the at the 23. I think at the Penguins 23, and they just elected to kick a field goal and. <clears throat> To me, a fourth and inches anywhere on the field is an automatic go for it. Unless I'm at my, you know, I think I don't go for fourth and inches uh, beyond my 20 yard or shorter than my 20 yard line. I don't know how to describe that. But, you know, if it's like my, if, if I'm on my 15 yard line and it's a fourth and inches, I don't think that I go for it. But if it's my 20 yard line or beyond, then I'm going for it anywhere on the field. Um, and then there was a fourth and two, I think, that, that I would have really liked to have seen San Francisco go for. That was on their missed field goal. It was a fourth and short, and they went to go kick the field goal. They missed it. So I don't like the lack of aggressiveness when it comes to San Francisco because of their offensive talent. I know that they made some upgrades to their offensive line, and you have capable running back. You have capable receivers, great quarterback. All I'm saying is I would like to see more aggressiveness there. Aggressiveness there. I understand why you're why you're not doing it. You're taking the points. I just think that with with being more aggressive, you're going to see your expected points go up. I think that's going to bring you more victories in the long run. This game worked out. They got a victory, but still, I'm saying that there's going to be games where that might not go your way, and being a little bit more aggressive, in my opinion, would be beneficial. But you won. You, you, you beat Southeast Texas in Southeast Texas. So I'm not going to bring down criticism that hard. You did good. Um, there were just some impressive plays from both quarterbacks, really. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to – I want to shower Palmer Townsley with, with love. He had a fantastic game. His, his final stat line was 34-41, was uh, 300-plus yards, no turnovers, and two touchdowns. So played a phenomenal game, and this might be the best that I've seen him look. I've watched several games of San Francisco's, and he's always done a good job at moving in the pocket, rolling out. He's he's an athletic quarterback, so he can run around uh, and and make plays while on the run. But this game, he just looked so calm, just so collected, 
And that's really probably because the the offensive line held up so well. He didn't really he didn't have to worry about trying to bail out of the pocket. He did a few times, and, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But he was able to stand in there and just throw strikes. And uh, particularly, he was finding Reuben Mullins a lot. Nine of eleven for 112 yards. Uh, he did find David Gomez, Lester Gibson, but he was just he was so accurate with the ball. His decisions were so quick. I mean, it was ball snapped. Look at first read, and balls out. I mean, you know, first read, second read, bam, balls out. It was just, it, it was, it was a wonderful rhythm to watch. And when he's on fire, it's, it's a sight to see. Uh, there was one particular pass. It was a little later in the game, early in the third quarter, and uh, Townsley was under a little bit of pressure, so he rolled out to his right. And as the defense was bearing down on him, he threw this absolute laser to the sideline. And it was just on the run, pressure coming down on him. And it was to Reuben Mullins, their wide receiver too. And he hadn't even gone into his break yet. He was supposed to be, uh, he was breaking into an out route was, was what it was supposed to be. And so he throws this absolute laser. And right as Mullins turns around, I mean, I'm talking his head's coming around. Right as his head comes around, that ball is there. And he has to just quick hands, grab it, and... Uh, he was able to turn up field and get some yards, but it's just those are the kind of plays that Townsley brings to an offense. He's not a quarterback that he's he's not a quarterback that's going to do this, and he's not in an offense that's going to enable enable him to do it. But he's not going to be attacking the seams, throwing down the field deep. He's not going to be chucking you know flies and and uh, posts. It's he's not a deep passing quarterback. He's going to. He's going to methodically chop you up and go down the field. And he's dangerous with his legs in the sense of he can get out of the pocket and buy time and make plays when things really break down. And and that's what I really that's what I really enjoy when I watch Townsley's is a play like that where he's able to escape pressure by that time and then just throw pinpoint accurate passes while on the run, under pressure, doesn't matter. It's all there. I, he's the complete package. That was really impressive to me. Like I said, I, I've watched several San Francisco games. I think this is the best that I've seen Palmer Townsley play. And I still hold to my opinion that if he, if at this point, I think he is in an offense that is utilizing him to 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 close to his full potential. He's got a good supporting cast around him. Maybe if he starts throwing just a little bit more, he had 41 attempts this game. That's great. Um, anywhere from 41 to or not 41, but 40 to 55 is usually what you're going to see in a deep route game. You give him those kind of attempts, and there's going to be some serious offensive production. On the flip side, Robert Giannino is the kind of quarterback that I just mentioned in regard to he's going to push the ball deep. That's what he does. He has the arm strength for it. He has the capability to do it. He can read those defenses and know where he's going to attack. And that's what, that's exactly what he did this game. There was a there was a play in the second quarter uh, where he just dropped back, and it was such a quick decision. I mean, that's the thing with these quarterbacks is that ball was snapped, and one, two, three, bam, right down the field. 21 yards, complete down the middle um it, it's just it's so impressive and there you look at you look at the data for these two offenses and you see two very very different offenses if if you go look at the logs for 
San Francisco, you're going to find that they don't throw the ball very deep. They are, they don't they don't throw the ball deep very often. And that's what I just mentioned. They're going to methodically chop you up as they go down the field. Ten yard chunks. Ten yard chunks. Um, their longest pass, their longest air yards pass in the game was thirteen yards. Whereas you go and you look at the data for Southeast Texas, they had two passes that traveled over twenty yards in the air, and then they had four passes, five passes that traveled over 15 yards in the air, um, not including those 20 yarders. So seven passes that traveled over 15 yards in the air, including the 20 yarders. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think San Francisco's longest pass would have even been in the top 10 attempts for Southeast Texas. You have an offense here that wants to be more aggressive. They're going to push it further down the field and they're going to utilize the big arm that their quarterback has. Just, just different systems, different strokes, and it works. I like Robert Giannino. I, Southeast Texas, and several times, has had very strong offenses. Um, and it, it's impressive to watch both of them uh, both of them go. There was, a, there was a lot of roster turnover in Southeast Texas this season, so I don't know if they're going to have... Um, I don't know if they're going to have the, the, the success that's typical for the Penguins. We'll have to see how this plays out. They're one-on-one. They won. They did win their uh, their week one matchup, so there is that. But we'll just have to we'll have to watch the rest of the season play out, and and see how see how things end up going. But th- this game really was a it was a treat to watch, especially if you're just a football fan in general. Um, what ended up happening was late in the fourth quarter, Southeast uh, not Southeast Texas, but San Francisco ended up driving down and kicking the go ahead field goal. Uh, Southeast Texas couldn't respond. They had a chance. They had to punt it away, and then they got the ball back with. 40-ish seconds left in the game, and, and they weren't able to capitalize. So just a, just a treat to watch. Uh, two really good quarterbacks, two really good coaches, and uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun watching this game, and I think that we're going to see San Francisco in the playoffs again. I like what they've done with their roster. I think that they are in prime position to make some noise in the AFC. They did they, they, they ran into the meat grinder that is Dallas last season in the playoffs. They got shut out, but uh, I fully expect them to be back in the playoffs and making some noise this season. Next, I, I want to talk about the Washington Qs uh, versus Verdin. Verdin went to Washington, and uh, they, they did win. It was 39-28. Yes, yep, yeah, 39-28. I got it right here. Yeah, so, man, I want to start with talking about the first quarter. And that might seem kind of stupid to say because obviously the first quarter is, is the beginning of the game. But, man, it, the first quarter was fascinating, uh, especially from a Washington side. If you're a special teams fan, you're going to love this first quarter. So game opened up, and Washington had a good defensive stand. Verdin had to punt it back. And they, uh, Washington being they, take the ball, and they open up scoring with a 53-yard field goal. Okay? And... Um, uh, Harry Gautier, Verdin, they take the ball, they go back down, throw a touchdown. So it's six to three. They go for two, they miss it. So six to three. And uh, Washington's offense in the first quarter was completely dominated by their rushing game. Um, they, had, they had 10 carries, so they were splitting up carries between Sean Boosie and William Leary. And so five carries apiece. So 10 total carries for. 70 yards yeah 10 total carries for 70 yards seven yards a pop uh, Edwin Little didn't have a whole bunch of show 
showtime, I guess. He had, he had seven attempts in the first quarter. Uh, four of seven, 40 yards, no big deal. Wasn't a, a huge factor. But when I talk about it being exciting from a special team standpoint over in Washington, uh, the first quarter ended 6-6. And those other three points came on another 53-yard field goal. And one thing that I, I initially wanted to say, I think one of those field goals was on a short down and distance. It was a fourth short down. I would like to see Washington be more aggressive there. But it's also really, really awesome to see two consecutive 53-yard field goals. And I got to give props to Floyd Jolly. Just, just incredible kicks. And, yes, he's... He's in his home stadium. He's used to it. The weather was fairly calm, no wind. So, I mean, you can you can say all these things that you want, but two consecutive 53-yard field goals, there's a lot of teams out there that would love to have a kicker that can do that consistently. And just just an awesome, unique for, uh, first quarter. Ended 6-6 on the back of the Washington run game and special teams. Harry Gautier finished 8 of 11, 93 yards, and a touchdown. Touchdown to Floyd, or sorry, not Floyd, Floyd Jolly. Uh, he threw a touchdown to Robert Johns. So um, interesting, interesting first quarter. And the, the fourth quarter got interesting as well. Um, so the, the second quarter actually opened up a little bit more. The... The Vultures were able to score off of a big return by Phillip Jackson. 27-yard punt return. That set up Gautier's second touchdown pass of the day. And then the Qs were able to respond. Field goal. And then this is where it got really fun. The Qs got a strip sack. And then they picked up the fumble and ran it back for a touchdown. So this actually put them up 16-14 at this point. There was around three minutes left in the in the in the second quarter, first half, and uh, Verdin was able to then take the ball, march down, bleed the vast majority of that clock away, and Gautier threw his third touchdown on the back of a big, big pass play, uh, an 11-yard strike over to the sideline where the receiver was able to turn up field and get an additional 14 yards. 25-yard gain took him from the 40 to, would that be the 15? Um so really, really dynamic play, exactly what they needed because they were getting a little short on time. This was around the minute 20 mark. So, um, and then they were able to go and, and, and score the, the go-ahead touchdown for the first half. So the first half ended 22-16. to 16. Gautier was on fire, 18 of 28, 201 yards and three touchdowns at the half. Edwin Little, by comparison, was 8 of 14 for 73 yards, but... The Q's rushing game was still dominating. Um, at this point, they were they were at 17 carries for 98 yards. So the vast majority um, of their offensive production was coming from those two running backs, Boosie and Leary. So, and and that's where I, I want to talk about Edwin Little a little bit. Um, he didn't have a particularly good game this 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 time um he didn't have a particularly good season last year either he's a young quarterback so you don't want to be too rough on him but there's been a lot of a lot of chatter coming from the Q's fan base about is is this is is little the guy I mean is is he the guy that we really want at quarterback and I have to echo their sentiments I don't know if he's the guy uh, he he was 24 48 today which that's a that's a tough stat line to look at. Um, he had an 81 quarterback rating last year through 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions. But you go out there and you watch him, 
And there's nothing that particularly stands out about his ability to play quarterback. Um, he misses reads. He makes the wrong reads. He tends to miss high when he does miss. And a lot of you're going to see a lot of people attribute that to his his short stature. He's only six foot, and so um, I've seen a lot of criticism from from fans saying that it's because he's a shorter quarterback and he's trying to compensate. So he ends up missing high. But there's a little bit of inaccuracy there, and um, I just don't know if he's the guy that's going to be able to take Washington where they need to go, if he's going to be the quarterback that can bring them that type of success. Um, His supporting cast isn't bad. He has good receivers. He has decent protection. Um, It's just, it's coming down to, it's coming down to decision time. His contract's up in 21-23. So he has, he has this season and next season to make his case for himself. And I would imagine that Coach Foster who I'm not one to doubt coach Foster coach Foster knows what he's doing. He's a respected coach. I'm just providing my input. Um, He's going to have to, he's going to have to really show some ability in order to get that second contract. Um, And, and I don't, I don't see him doing it so far. He didn't do it last season through the first two weeks of this season. I'm, I'm not particularly seeing it either, particularly in this game, just not really impressive. Um, it's going to be interesting. Hey, I'll tell you this. I'm going to be the first to eat crow if he comes out and starts bombing it down the field for the rest of the season and gets a big contract because that's what I want for him. I don't want the guy to fail. I'm not I'm not saying that I want this guy to fail. I've seen interviews with him. He seems like a nice guy. seems intelligent. I, this is no personal dig at him. I'm just not seeing... I'm not seeing what I would need to see in order to keep this guy as the as the face of the franchise. And ultimately, that's what we're looking for. This is a passing league. You need strong passing attack. You need a capable quarterback. And so far, I haven't seen Edwin Little be able to be that. That's all I'm saying. So I, I genuinely hope that he's able to boost his production and he's able to get that second contract because I don't want any of these guys to fail. I do like his supporting cast, like I mentioned. Andrew Sheck is probably their top target. Um, they did draft James Pittman. He's a tackle, so they're trying to... Trying to boost that that production. One thing about uh, one thing about last season, he, he was sacked 22 times, around 100 rushing attempts, which both of those are pretty high in, in deep route land. So the uh, the pass protection was a little bit leaky last season. He's had, he's been sacked three times this season already, so he's probably on pace for around 20 again. Uh, but there's been a concerted effort into into improving that pass protection. Um, so all, all of that being said, I don't think his supporting cast around him is bad. Could it be better? Yes. But I don't think it's a bad roster by any means. Um, I just don't – I'm not seeing it from him. I'm not blaming his receivers. I'm not blaming his protection necessarily. I'm just not seeing it from Edwin. So it, it'll be interesting to see how, how, how things go. Um, but back to the game, the fourth quarter was a special teams clinic put on by Verdin. Um kicked three field goals in order to, to get their six. And then Washington did have a chance early on. So on, a, on, on Edwin's touchdown pass, it was in the fourth quarter. Um, they It was 33-28 at that point, and they went for two. And uh, he didn't even get a chance to, to complete it. Uh, Don Weikert blew through the line, sacked him. And so uh, – it would have been very interesting if they were to, if they were to get that two point conversion and be able to get within three. Um, 
because, I mean, at that point, obviously, what ended up happening was after that, Verdun went and kicked another field goal, but that wouldn't have mattered at that point because you're still within one score. And so it, it could have changed some of the play calling from Washington's side. It, it would have been interesting, but the protection didn't hold up, and they weren't able to get the two-point conversion. And then uh, Verdun finished it off with a with a, a flurry of field goals to, to get to the 39-28 final score. If you are a fan of special teams, this was your game. Uh, I mean, Floyd Jolly... I just I've got a I think I've got a boast on the guy five field goals, okay, five field goals. Uh, William Evans kicked three, uh, and then you had some interesting moments. The fumble six. Uh, there were several two point conversion attempts. You had the big punt return by Philip Jackson in the first half. Just a a really interesting game. I had a lot of fun watching it. You know, I, I, I again, I don't want to be too hard on anybody. I gave my thoughts on Edwin Little. Harry Gautier is a completely capable quarterback. I think Washington has a very strong rushing attack. That's interesting. That can provide some relief for Edwin Little. Um, and, and I think Washington's a good team. I, I do think Washington's a good team. I think they're, they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot this season. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to watching their games. I'm sure I'm going to be talking about them again at some point in the season, probably next weekend. So uh, just just want to see more from the quarterback position. So very, very interesting game, though. Special teams clinic had a, a unique mix of big defensive plays and uh, just, a, just a fun one to watch. For the last game that I want to do, we're going to look at Dallas and Amarillo. Because this one really stood out to me as a very surprising game. Amarillo went to Dallas. And they only they, they lost by seven. It was twenty to thirteen. And this I say that I'm surprised, not because Amarillo is a bad team, not at all. I mean, Coach Coach Chipo is a Super Bowl winning coach. He knows what he's doing. Um, so it, it's certainly no indictment on on the quality of his team. It's more just a the optics of it, I, I suppose. You know, n- nobody's really expecting um, Amarillo to go and and really take it to Dallas. Nobody really expects anybody to take it to Dallas. Um, and Amarillo almost did in Dallas. And if you look at what they had to overcome, it makes it even more interesting. Um, Dallas forced four fumbles. They only recovered two of them, but they also intercepted Frank Prussia. Uh, tons of pressure on him all day. And Amarillo defensively was able to just dig their heels in, anchor down, and survive. Uh, On top of that, Daryl Smith also didn't play up to standards. Uh, 29 to 51, he he threw an interception, and Amarillo just ran. They ran the ball with, with quite a bit of success. And in the passing game, Frank Prussia was able to find two of his targets, Daniel Plimpton and Brandon Sugar for a lot of, for, for a lot of success. I mean, Sugar had nine catches for 126 yards and, uh, and the, the lone touchdown that Amarillo scored today. And then Plimpton was eight of 10 for 106 yards. Uh, Dallas on the other hand was carried by Timothy Hamilton, eight of 10, 104 yards, one touchdown. Smith ended up 29 of 51, 268 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, and, and the way that the game started was Amarillo drawing first blood. Amarillo took their first possession, drove 70 yards down the field, and kicked a 27-yard field goal to 
to draw first blood out of Dallas. And that is quite the statement to do in Dallas' stadium. Um, they stopped Dallas on their first offensive possession. Um, I, I don't even, I'm not entirely sure if Dallas got a first down. Um, no, they got one. Yeah, they got one. Daryl, uh, I think Daryl Smith threw a, he threw a 10-yard completion and then uh, three incompletions to, to, to finish the drive. And then Amarillo marches down. Frank Prusha went three of five for 46 yards. James Levesque had 27 yards. Um, there were some other rushes in there. It, it just mind-blowing to me. Um, and there were some penalties. There were some penalties that were thrown in there. But, yes, Amarillo opened up with a three-point lead off of a 70-yard drive, and that was it. That was the only scoring in the entire first quarter. If you look back at the Super Bowl last season, the last time that Dallas was held scoreless in the first quarter was against Freight Train. So I would say that Dallas is lucky that Amarillo didn't open up an Austin 316 can of whoop-ass on the Cyberpunks. Um, <laughs> there's a trend here. No, um, it, but it's not very often that you that you hold Dallas scoreless in the, in the in the first quarter. I mean, they are an offensive juggernaut. Aside from that, they're a defensive juggernaut. They have incredible talent on both sides of the ball. But all of that being said, it's not very common that you hold them scoreless in the in, in the first quarter. It's even less common that you hold them scoreless in the first half. And Amarillo did not do that. They did not do that. Uh, Dallas opened up their scoring with a 22-yard touchdown to Timothy Hamilton. Really impressive play, really. Uh, protection was clean. Daryl Smith dropped back, and he fired a quick pass out to Timothy Hamilton. Uh, Timothy. Tam- Timothy. Uh, Timothy Hem- Hamilton. <laughs> God damn, guys. Timothy Hamilton um, (laughs) uh, fired a quick pass out to Timothy and uh, 14-yarder, and Hamilton was able to put some moves on the the safety, get by him, and scoot it in for the extra eight yards to to get Pater. So that was when Dallas took a 7-3 lead. Amarillo would go on to kick a field goal, bring it 7-6, and then Cyberpunks would close out the, the first half with a field goal. 10-6 10-6 was was a score at halftime. And if I am if I'm cheapo, I'm thrilled about it being <coughs> excuse me. I am thrilled about it being 10-6 at halftime. I mean, this is this is a game that all of the national media were they, they were doubting you in. And uh there's Amarillo hasn't had a bunch of success against Dallas in recent history. And so you go into the game, you go into halftime 10-6 in Dallas you have to be thrilled and I certainly would be. And I know coach Chipo likely was. Um, and I'm sure he was hoping for, for more coming out of the second half. And it, it was a little bit quiet. They had a huge moment at, at the end of the third quarter there. Frank Prussia uh, drove the ball down the field. He threw it deep and sugar just made, um, one of the most amazing catches I've seen. Uh, Prussia threw the ball deep down the right sideline, and and Sugar was was not open. <laughs> he he was double covered. Jeffrey Yon and Wayne Dario, the the cyberpunk safety, was there, and uh, he was just taking a shot. And Sugar was able to high point this ball 
come down with it and keep his feet in bounds. This was at the this was at the the right back corner of the end zone, um, right in the right in that area, and just able to jump, high point that ball, and then he had the situational awareness to then toe tap his feet as he's coming down with it in double coverage. Just an absolutely phenomenal play, um, and, and that brought so that brought Amarillo to even ground with Dallas it was it was 13 to 13 at that point um, and then there, there there was a little bit of hope for Amarillo they had such a wonderful opportunity Daryl Smith went uh, threw it over the middle and when Daryl Smith is another one of those quarterbacks that I've seen fans talk about and you know you, you hear criticisms of despite I, I think he is a good quarterback he's playing well this season um, but he's one of those guys that when he misses he tends to miss high he's a smaller quarterback he's five foot eleven kind of like Edwin Little that we spoke about earlier so he tends to miss high and that's exactly what he did here he was trying to throw it to Robert Corbin and he just threw it a little bit high and Charles Threat, the Armadillo strong safety, was able to was able to pick it off. And this was at the this was towards the beginning of the fourth quarter. Still 13-13. So Amarillo had a wonderful opportunity to to go ahead and it started off great. James Levesque ripped off a ten yard run and then it just uh, kind of died after that they, they tried to run the ball a little bit more nothing there they got themselves into a third and long and 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 they weren't able to capitalize on on the uh on the turnover they, they went to kick a field goal they missed the field goal it's a 48 yarder um i would have liked to have really seen some different play calling there running it on second and eight just doesn't do it. I mean, two runs in a row, I guess, with uh, three. I mean, you had James Levesque ripping off a 10-yard run, then you had a one-yarder and a, a no gain. So I, I don't like that play calling. you got to be a little bit more aggressive there. I understand you're on their 28-yard line, and you're thinking, okay, well, we're, we're at least going to get three. But that's not always the case, as you saw. Missed field goal is, is tough. And then uh, Dallas was able to close out the fourth quarter by scoring the go-ahead touchdown around the, around the four-minute mark. So... I would have loved if you could have beat him. That's okay. Um, entertaining game. You know, it was all of the forced fumbles. I, I just can't believe it. And and the, the, there, there was a little bit of rain. Nothing nothing crazy. Um, I mean, it wasn't a monsoon. You weren't playing in a hurricane. But, but the ball was wet. And so maybe that explains, uh, maybe that explains some of the miscues. Smith throwing high uh, and all the fumbles. But it, it was... It was damp conditions. It wasn't wet conditions. So, uh, but yes, entertaining game. Um, and and, and th- this game caps off my three-game review, Goose's three games of the week. And we're going to do a quick run-through of the divisions. I'm going to give some predictions and, uh, and, 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 and figure out what. I guess we're not going to figure out anything, but I'm going to give my predictions on who's going to win the divisions. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So it's 831 Central Time. So that means that week three just spun. I've already looked. I lost to Nashville, which means that I have to retire. So um, you'll be seeing me put my name into the Team Delete channel. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's pull up these divisions. And starting with the AFC East, this one seems pretty clear-cut to me. I'm going to take the San Francisco Spartans. They lost today. Um, I, I, I still have to take them. I think they are the. Um, I think they're the best team in the division. They were the, they were a top seed last season. 
Uh, yeah, I've got to go with San Francisco. I do think Chicxulub could possibly squeak out a uh, squeak out a wild card. Really, I wouldn't be surprised to see either Ch- the wild card, the last wild card, being Chicxulub or Southeast Texas. Um, both of them, I think, are capable teams. Robert Giannino over there for uh, Southeast Texas. Last I last I checked, Chicxulub was was working with Kruger, though I think they made a big free agent acquisition at quarterback here recently. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Both teams, all the, all the teams in the division lost today. So, um, but I'm going to take San Francisco to win the to win the division, and then I wouldn't be surprised to see Chicxulub or Southeast Texas to take one of the last wild card spots. Uh, AFC North. That one to me is pretty clear-cut. Montreal, uh, Coach QD, I think he's going to take home another division crown. Uh, SRS, so the SRS ratings came out today, and it's far and away QD. uh, Montreal has a rating of 17, and then all of the other teams have a rating that is worse than negative 10. So MVP Brady is 2-1 right now. Uh, and that is a little it might be a little bit deceiving he's had a tough he's had a pretty tough schedule looks like he got blown out in his one loss which was to open the season but uh i i don't know if if they're for real yet i need to see more of them before i start making claims that they can compete with montreal for the division i i think montreal takes the division i don't see a wild card coming out of this out of this uh out of this division afc south you know, it's interesting. Kanata is in second place because of North Franklin nullification being in the top spot. Uh, I'm picking Kanata to win this division. I, I really like Gerhardt at quarterback. I think this is a strong team, though I also have feelings about North Franklin nullification. I think North Franklin nullification has talent. I think that is a good team. Uh, I know Matt had predicted them to go to the playoffs last season. I was on board with that prediction. They didn't make it. I think North Franklin nullification is a playoff caliber team. I hope they're putting it together. I really like this team. I like what Coach Constant is doing over there. I don't think he's going to. Um, I don't think he's going to unseat Kanata just yet for uh, for the division crown. Though I think he can possibly provide some some competition. So Kanata, I'm picking to be the division leader. I think North Franklin will be competing. Uh, I don't think there is going to be a uh, a wild card out of this division. AFC West, Dallas Cyberpunks, they're going to win the division. I, they're they're my pick far and away. Um I you know, it's interesting. I don't know how I feel about my team. We're 2 and 1. We have a negative SRS uh and we've we've not played very good defense. We've struggled on offense a little bit. Uh, I need to reevaluate what is going on with my roster. I think there's some moves and some playbook changes that I can make that might optimize what I've got going on. But really what it, what it comes down to is uh, is Johns and Joes. And I don't know if I have the talent right now to, to uh, be fielding a, a top-level team. So I might, I might be able to take a wild-card spot. Not entirely sure. I do have a tough schedule this year. Um, we are playing the NFC South, which is going to consist of a freight train and river sticks. I'm not excited about that. So we'll see. Dallas Cyberpunks win the division. Outlaws are a possible wild card team. If we miss out on the wild card, it could get very interesting. You could see two wild card teams come out of the East, or you could see a team like North Franklin sneak into the playoffs it'll be interesting 
pay attention to the AFC. Going to the NFC, we're going to look at the NFC East. I think Pennsylvania is going to win the division crown. I think their only competition is West Lafayette. I do like West Lafayette. I think they're a good team. But I, I really like what strategy's done with the Stabby Squirrels. I think they're going to take the division crown this season um, and score their first ever playoff berth. I don't think you're going to see an, a, a wild card team out of, out of this division. Fran Mack and Gregory G are uh, are, are still struggling. Str- struggling. struggling. Leonia is currently projected for one win on the season. Um, just a tough, tough history. So, Pennsylvania, I'm picking to win the NFC East. NFC North, this division is very, very interesting. I'm picking Verdun to win the division, but you have the resurgence of the Blue Bay Bonk Dogs, and everybody is shocked at how well they are playing. They're 2-1. and one. They have an SRS of 6. Uh, they're on a 2-win streak, and uh, yeah, I mean, they've done well. I am I am shocked at how well Blue Bay is doing. You have the Washington Qs. The NFC is tough. You know, I think that I think if Blue Bay keeps playing like this and Washington keeps playing how they're playing, those are two wild card worthy teams. Those are wild card, those are playoff caliber teams. I don't know if they're going to either one of them are going to be able to get it. Uh, simply because of the other two divisions. You have River Sticks and Freight Train and Reddick and Richmond. One of those teams are certainly going to get the wild card. Um, so you just have to hope that maybe you know the NFC West or the NFC South kind of cannibalizes itself and um, it can it can bring a wild card to the to the NFC North. But Verdin is going to win that division. Uh, Blue Bay and Washington are going to be clawing for one of the wild card spots. NFC South. I'm picking Freight Train. Um, though it looks like, I mean, Trantor has, has really come out strong to, to start the season. I'm going to pick Freight Train. They're the reigning Super Bowl champions. It's hard to go against them. I, I love what Matt has been doing um, since he's gotten into the league. So Freight Train's going to win the division. I think River Sticks takes one of the wild card spots and makes noise in the playoffs. And then the NFC West. Man, it's hard to go against Shelton. It's hard to go against Playa. This is a really tough selection. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Reddick. I, I I think Reddick is going to win the division. Um, and it really I I think this I think the setup is going to be exactly how it is. I mean, I've picked Pennsylvania to win the division. They're at the top. I've picked Verdun to win the division. They're at the top. I picked, uh, well, I guess Freight Train. I picked Freight Train to win the division. They're in the wild card spot right now. I think River Sticks and Freight Train are going to flip, and then I think Reddick is going to win the division, and Richmond's going to take that last wild card spot. So, those are my predictions for the season, and that wraps up this episode. Everybody, I hope you have enjoyed episode six of the Goose in the Morning show. Uh, as I always say, I, I truly enjoy making these. So as long as you enjoy listening to them, I will keep making them. Um, so with that being said, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. If you're going to watch NFL football, I hope you enjoy your relaxing, or possibly stressful Sunday afternoon, depending on how your team does. And I will be making another episode next weekend. Looking forward to talking again. Have a wonderful week and goodbye.